0: Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. Today's message is propitiation, your new favorite word. <laughs> And it's one of those words that I think we can hear in the church. And I don't know about you, but when I read stuff, I'm constantly pulling out my dictionary to make sure I actually know what something means. Because I think you can assume you know what something means, but um, it's not always the case. And so I just, I realize the older I get, the, the dumber I am in the sense that like, I've just become more humble of like, I don't really know that much. Because as you get more knowledge in your brain, you realize how much you don't know. And so it's always good to be like little kids and just be like, what does that really mean? So we're going to look at that today. Um, Today we're going to be in 1 John. Out of the 40 authors that wrote the Bible, if I had to pick a favorite, I'd probably pick John. John is my favorite author. He's my favorite gospel. uh, And obviously his letters to the church is really awesome, and the book of Revelation is, is what a, an unveiling uh, as it means uh, to us about the end. Um, background to John's letters. Um, so he wrote these letters to the church. We're not sure which one. It doesn't say, but you can tell by the language that they knew him. He, he talks to them as children, and I'm sure there was a lot of adults in the church. So he's probably pretty old. Uh, there is a chance that he could have written these to the church in Ephesus, so when Jesus was dying on the cross, as you remember, he gave the care of his mother to John, and, which is really interesting. And I think the reason he did that was because John was there. And his brothers, even though his brothers became these leaders in the church, they weren't there. And, and even all the other apostles, they weren't there. But John was there. And he says, because you're here at the, at the foot of the cross with my mom, you're going to be in charge of taking care of her. And church history shows that they went to Ephesus and, and actually died there. And... Um, John is one of my favorite stories of the apostles because he was the youngest apostle. And then when Nero um, blamed this fire in Rome on the Christians, he started killing all the Christians. And so this is when the apostle Paul died and the apostle Peter died. And then later, you know, John survives all this. and, And so he becomes like the last living apostle. Domitian who is the Roman Emperor after Titus and Titus is responsible for finishing the Roman Colosseum so when we think of Rome you always think of the Colosseum and, and Titus finished that and then Domitian was the, the emperor that came right after that and he hated Christians and he made it so he declared that he was a god um, kind of like um, Nebuchadnezzar and if and if you and if you didn't worship him or the Roman gods then you, you could be killed and so he was doing this to basically go after the Christians and it's one of my favorite stories that the church history and, and a, a, an account from a Roman historian both say this, that they took John into the Colosseum and they were going to, in front of a crowd, as like, this is what happens to you if you go against a Roman emperor. They're going to boil him in a cauldron of hot boiling oil. So they put him in this cauldron. And he comes out unharmed; nothing happened to him. And the the crowd was so amazed that they all converted to Christianity, which is like a complete backfire of this of the Roman emperor. And so, like, oh no, what am I going to do with this with this guy? And then the the story after that, which is a little bit um, not it's not as verified, but there's church history that points to this as well, is that they say, all right, we're going to force John to take poison. So they force him to drink poison, and he drinks the poison, and nothing happens. And then they're like. Maybe the poison doesn't work, so they give it to another guy and force him to take it, and that guy dies. And this is my favorite thing. After John sees this guy die, he prays for him to come back to life in Jesus' name, and the guy comes back to life. And then the the Roman emperor is like, what am I going to do with this guy? So he banishes him to the island of Patmos to probably work in the mines, and that's where he has um, the revelation that we read about in the book of Revelation and possibly where he could have written this to the church in Ephesus, but we, we don't know that for sure. Uh, So we're going to read 1 John, starting in verse 5 in chapter 1, and we'll read through the whole passage, and then we'll go through it line by line. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with, with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin." If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Heavenly Father, this letter to this church is so packed with so much knowledge. I just pray that you would open our spiritual ears and and eyes and our heart that we could receive um, whatever it is you want to speak to us individually as we're all going through different things individually Uh, in Jesus name verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all Uh, For those of you who weren't here last week, I spoke on darkness and light. And in Genesis, God actually makes a physical property to represent sin and Satan and rebellion. So there was never darkness before this universe we're living in. And then the very first words out of God's mouth in the Bible, which is very special, is let there be light. And God says that because that is who he is. And that's who he wants us to be, is to be the light. Verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And that's, you know, I've used this example of like, if you say you work somewhere and you never show up to work, you don't actually work there. And if you say you're married and you never go home to your wife, you're not actually married. So if you say you're Christian and, and you don't follow Jesus and do what he says, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not really a Christian uh, verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from some sin. It doesn't say that. It says he cleanses us from all sin, and that is the most glorious thing in the world. Is I think people all think that like God can never forgive me for that. And what I did was so bad. And no, that's, you're, you're minimizing the sacrifice of Jesus to cleanse you from all sin. There is nothing that you have done, are doing, or will do in the future that God cannot cleanse you from. And God knows the end from the beginning. So you might be really surprised when you blow it one day. And you're like, man, I didn't see that coming. And, and, and God's not surprised. So he's never surprised by your sin. Uh, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And I think that's common that you hear when you talk to people about church and the Bible is like, uh, I'm a good person, like, why do I, why do I need God? And, and so for me, when I ever hear that, I always say, well, let's see how you do in God's top 10, right? So let's start with the 10 commandments. So first, you're not allowed to have anything um, as God in your life that's not God, is that how you're doing and and you know the first five commandments are broken into like honoring God and honor and two you're not allowed to put you know it 's like having idols so you 're not allowed to put anything before God. three, you're never allowed to take god 's name in vain. so if you've ever said, "Oh my God or Jesus Christ is a cuss word, you 've now blasphemed god 's name because you're using it not in its proper context. I always tell my kids. Like, you're only allowed to use God's name if you're talking to him or about him. And then four is to have a day, a Sabbath day, to honor God. And if you haven't done that your whole life, then you've broken that commandment. And then verse, or the, the, fifth, sorry, the fifth commandment is to honor your mother and father. And if you've ever said something mean or horrible to your parents, then we've all broken that commandment. And then the sixth commandment is do not murder. And it's, I think most of us would be like, oh, yeah, I got that one covered. Until Jesus ups the ante and says, if you've ever had hate in your heart towards anybody, you've broken that commandment. And you're like, dang it. And then there's the seventh commandment, which is do not commit adultery. And you're like, okay, well, I've never committed adultery. But any type of sexual activity outside of marriage is adultery. So that, and especially in today's age, that's almost everybody. And then Jesus ups the ante on that as well. And he says, if you even look at anyone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. And you're like, dang it. So that pretty much excludes everybody from that. And then if you've ever stolen anything, that's the eighth commandment. You're not allowed to steal anything. So if you've ever taken anything without permission, uh, you're stealing. Whether it's a pencil from your teacher's classroom or a car, right? Stealing is stealing. And that makes you a thief. So if you've ever stolen anything, that makes you a thief. And then the ninth commandment is do not lie. So if you've ever told a lie, you're a liar. And then the tenth commandment is do not covet. I mean, this goes completely against Instagram. Because if you've ever looked at something and said, man, I I wish I could have that house or that vacation or this or that. That's like if you're longing for something that's not yours, God says that's a sin. Because we're all supposed to be thankful for the circumstances we're born into. So the including your body like you could say like i wish i was pretty like that person or handsome like that person it's like no god made you special you are one of a kind and infinitely precious in god's eyes because there would never be another one of you individually and god made you exactly how he wanted to so we're supposed to uh, be thankful and so these are all the things that we're all guilty of sin right so we're all sinners and so what do we do with that and and so that's where we get to verse 9, which is my favorite. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's not surprised by anything that you do. And if you have any unconfessed sin, uh, with God, I highly, highly recommend today before you go to bed, spend some time in prayer and confess your sins individually and don 't just say, "Oh yeah, I was bad last week." No, tell God exactly what you did. He knows what you did, and when you name it by name and, and you put it, it you're, you're, God already knows, but you 're taking it and you're instead of hiding, which is what we 're all prone to do in shame that 's what Adam and Eve did once they sinned, they hid because they don 't want uh and they cover themselves and And so what we all do is we cover ourselves with being busy at work or maybe exercise or all these things that can medicate and and we're hiding from our sins. So what God wants us to do is to confess our sins. And I highly recommend having someone that you can trust that you can also confess your sin to. Um, It it keeps you accountable, whether that's a counselor or a brother or sister in the Lord, have somebody that you confess your sins to, to, to let Sin never get a hold of your heart, because if there's ongoing sin like a weed in your yard, any of you guys who guard know how quickly weeds come up. And it's like, wow, like I, I, I didn't weed for like two weeks and I was amazed at how much weeds popped up in my yard. And if you cut off the top of a weed, it'll be back really, really quick. So if you have sin that's ongoing and it keeps popping up, that's an indicator that you need to get to the root of your sin, which is usually not. The thing you're sinning with—it's usually um, a lie that you believe in your heart that you're either alone or unloved or certain things—and that's where uh, I always say this: find a counselor, a Christian counselor that you that you trust. If you have anything going on in your heart that you need to deal with, um, I'm seeing my favorite Christian counselor on Tuesday because I want to make sure that there's never anything. And I was like, man, I don't really have anything ongoing but I feel like I need to start seeing you on a regular basis, just to make sure that there's no weeds growing in my heart. And that was like weeks ago. And since then God has revealed to me, there are things in your heart that I need to deal with that you don't even realize. And so um, things that, that from my parents and, and all kinds of things that God says, like a lot of this stuff isn't your fault, but I need to deal with this stuff because you have issues that, that I've got to work through. And, and God wants to clean the pipes in all of our souls so that when the Holy Spirit's living water comes through us it 's not tainted. men are the worst. We only go to the doctor when we 're like our legs are falling off, or we only you know it's like you only go check on your car if, if like it's broken down um, but there's maintenance involved and if you do preventative maintenance, you can save yourself a lot of headaches so don't wait till your marriage is falling apart to see a counselor see one now and, and avoid all those problems and you won 't probably have to spend as much money on a counselor. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So just like I said, the 10 commandments, all, you know, all have sinned, right? And he says uh, in verse one of chapter two, my little children. So you see the intimacy that, that the apostle John has with this, ch- this church specifically. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Love that term, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is an advocate? An advocate is someone who fights for a cause, right? It's like if you're advocating for or against abortion, you've got all these people and you, you know, lobbyists in Congress, they go and they advocate for their causes and they want laws to be passed to help them. How comforting to know that God's son is in the throne of heaven advocating for every one of you individually. He's on your side. He wants the best for you. He's fighting for you. And ironically, on the other end, and this goes back to last week, is this battle between good and evil. Satan is also in heaven, and he's accusing you before the father and pointing out all your your mistakes and your problems. And Jesus is on the other side saying, no, 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 but like, I believe in them and and I can fix this, right? Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Now, what does propitiation even mean? So the definition is the act of gaining the favor of or making things right with someone, especially after having done something wrong. And as I alluded to earlier, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when you sin, if you've ever done something really bad in your life, maybe I'm the only one, but you feel horrible and shameful and you have guilt and you feel gross and you're like, ah. And and what if in that moment you could... If, and this is after coming to Jesus. So even after you've come to the Lord and you've, you've confessed your sins and you became a born-again Christian, you sin again and you're like, I can't believe I did this. And you have so much shame and you go back to your parents, Adam and Eve, hiding with your leaves and you're, and you're just covering up and you feel all the shame. And, and Jesus, what John is saying, is that he is the propitiation. Like, he's going to make it right. So you just have to go to him again Confess your sins and he will reunite your soul. Not that you ever left, but you, you don't feel united with God when you sin. So that's the thing is when you, when you sin, your soul feels off. But when you go to Jesus and you confess your sin and you repent, he reunites you with the Father in perfect unity. And positionally, you don't lose your salvation. But emotionally, you feel separated from God when you sin. That's the way that God designed it. So Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. And this is John three sixteen, right? So it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I don't think we understand how much our sin costs because we all say things like, ah, it's just a little white lie. And it's like, no, you lied and you just associated yourself with the author of lies, who is Satan, and rebelled against God by not speaking the truth and completely separated yourself for eternity from God because you told one lie. So in these pictures, I have an image for it. So sin separates us from God. And there's this giant gap between us and God. And so we could have been with God if we didn't sin, but we lied and we stole things and we committed adultery and we didn't put God first and all these things. And it's like, oh no, what, how do I get right with God? And that's where Jesus Christ comes in as a propitiation for our sins. He makes it right. So we are allowed to reconnect with God through Jesus Christ. And like I said, this is an ongoing thing. The biggest lie of Satan when you sin is God can't forgive you for that, and you want to run away from God. So you have to keep running to Jesus. This is like my favorite thing about our church name is renewing hope. It's not past tense. It's an active word. It's, we all need our hope renewed all the time. So we all need Jesus all the time. And, in, and when we do that, we're able to bridge the gap between us and God, and have unity with our maker. We have a maker who made all of us. And Satan's lied to everybody out there and says, you're all a bunch of orphans. And they don't know that they've got the greatest father in the world who loves them, who died for them, who has the incredible future plan for them. But Satan has, has lied to them and they bought, they bought it. And so we have the honor as being ambassadors of our father and workers for him as we get to tell people, you're not an orphan, You have a father, you're chosen, you're loved, but you have to repent and go through Jesus. And that is where most people get hung up. So going back to verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins. That's why this word is so glorious is because he made us right with God. Propitiation means we were enemies of God and now we're chosen co-heirs with Christ. We don't understand what that means because we haven't gotten it yet. It's like someone who's a trust fund kid and they haven't inherited their money yet. It's like, oh, you're going to inherit like billions of dollars. And you're like, until you actually inherit it, it doesn't hit home. So we don't understand when Paul says that, that we're co-heirs with Christ, what we get when we get to heaven, like what we inherit as sons and daughters of the king. Hallelujah, that we get to be a part of that. We we're so spoiled as Christians because we take for granted that we were alienated from God and we sinned. And once you it's like once you have running water in your house and a roof over your head, you're just like, oh, this is just how it is. So you just think like, oh, yeah, I, I've got forgiveness of sins. But I don't think we we understand the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross and how special it is that he bridge. He didn't have to bridge the gap. He could have said you guys chose sin over me. That's it. You're done. And, but his love for us and, and what he did. That's why propitiation is such an incredible word. Because we were separated from God because of our sin. And he paid the price so we could come back to God and be united with him. And it's just, it's just so special. So may the Holy Spirit renew your understanding of what Jesus did for you. Because that's how much... He, he loves you. And, and the cross bears evidence of that because the cross will always remind you of God's love for you. Verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And I did a talk on this a couple weeks ago. Faith without works is dead. So if you say that you love God and you don't do what he says, you don't love him, you don't know him. And, and John, John is the loving apostle. He's very blunt, right? And he says in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So when we sin, this is the thing of you got shame and what do you do do with that? And I'm just going to finish with with another story from the Gospel of John in chapter 8. So in chapter 8, verse 3, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, "Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery." Now, in the law of Moses, commanded, uh, now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. So, what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, the Jewish nation had lost the ability to commit capital punishment, and so the Romans would have had to do that. And so what they're trying to do is catch Jesus to say he's either going against Moses or he's going against Rome, kind of like the paying your taxes thing. And as you'll notice, they only brought the woman. And last time I checked, it takes two to tango. So there's no man involved, right? And so she's probably, they probably set her up and now she's probably, you know, probably has a blanket around her and that's it. And she's feeling shameful and gross and all these religious leaders are like, look what she did. And the law of Moses commands us to do this. And, and, it, and it's not Moses who said that, it's actually Jesus who told Moses what to do. So this is his law. So put that in perspective, that this is Jesus's law to the nation of Israel, but when they were a nation state, which they no longer are hundred percent because Rome is over them. But Jesus knew what they were up to. It wasn't that they were trying to follow the law of Moses. They were trying to get him in a trap so they could have something to charge him with. And verse seven, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down, bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. We don't know what he wrote the ideas he probably might have written the sins that these guys were individually committing and that's why they were like you know ooh, he knows what i'm up to and i think uh what you learn uh when you're not right with god you're very judgmental of others because it's like placing the blame anywhere but here And so people who are very critical of others, they have their own stuff going on inside. And that's why counseling is the stuff that reveals all this. If you're not happy with yourself, you're going to be super critical of others. And so religious people can do this. And and I think we all need to remember what God did for us and how much we were separated from God, that we all deserve punishment. And so we need to extend that grace to others and never be judgmental, um, but loving. But speak the truth. We still have to speak the truth. And in verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Imagine her shame standing before Jesus. Like she's probably half covered up with a blanket and just caught in this horrible act and just feeling the guilt and the shame. And she's standing before God. And I would imagine that the spirit's presence around Jesus being so powerful that everyone who came in contact with him knew they were standing with God. And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. But here's the crucial part. And from now on, sin no more. So that's what Jesus is saying. When we sin, we come to him. And he's like, I'm not condemning you. And he's not there to make you feel worse. He's there to forgive you and to cleanse you. But he says at the end, go and sin no more. So that is the thing of like, I remember a Satanist asking me, if Jesus died for our sins, why is it wrong to sin? Well, you're totally twisting that because Jesus doesn't want sin. And, and when we willfully sin, we're like the Roman guards nailing his, his hands and his feet into the cross on purpose. Because that's what sin did. It put Jesus on the cross. So if we willfully sin, we are, we are taking part in the torture and crucifixion of God himself. So we're going to make mistakes. It's going to come unexpectedly. When you sin, run to God not away from him. And Jesus is not there to condemn you when you sin. He's there to cleanse you and encourage you and command you, now go and sin no more. And that's what it says after the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. So in John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. How glorious is that we are washed and cleansed. And I think of like when I... If I, do, if I lose my temper, or this, and that, I just feel this dirtiness, right? I just feel like, oh, I'm not holy before God. And then I can go to God and, and confess my sins and ask for forgiveness. And he washes me white as snow like I've never done anything ever. And that is just a gift from God that he looks at us and sees no sin in us. But like a good father, he wants us to do the necessary things to get rid of sin in your life. So sanctification is this fancy term in Christianity that means you should start as a really bad sinner, and by the time you die, you should ideally be really close to looking like Jesus as a person in your life with very little sin and loving and caring and and holiness in your life. And on that journey to being like Jesus, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, But perseverance and and confession of sins, and changing your life, and having the courage to get rid of things in your life that are causing sin. Like if a certain music is causing you to sin, or TV or movie or whatever, just get rid of it. Um, I want to end this message with all of us praying together on, on the Lord's Prayer, because I think it's really so incredible how basic and simple it is, but how powerful it is. We are unworthy to stand in your presence, but thanks to the propitiation and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we can become one with you, blameless, holy, priests of the Most High. I love you, Jesus. I will tell you this for eternity. I'm so eternally grateful for what you did for me personally. You washed my sins Though they were as scarlet, they've become white as snow. And I am now chosen, loved, a son of the Most High. I have a purpose. I have an identity. And I I have a family with you. So thank you, God, for dying for me personally. Help me, Father, to never sin again, to never bring any type of bad into this world, but only good. Holy Spirit, empower us. Teach us knowledge and wisdom. Help us to get counseling and cut out anything that we need to cut out in our lives that's keeping us from being holy. Thank you for this time, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today, and may His face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer or would like to reach out to us, you can do so at our website, renewinghope.church. Until next time.